You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Let's get into God's Word today. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. If you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. If you don't, you can just look at the screen behind me. And I just want to talk to you today about seeing the things that Jesus sees and seeing them the way that he saw them. Now, whenever we get into the Gospels, sometimes these are just really short, uh, just views and windows into what Jesus is doing, and we can easily pass by them and not give them much thought, but I believe that there's wisdom, there's insight, there's truth that we can glean from even just the day-to-day things that the Lord was doing, and uh, it can speak to our hearts and to our souls. So if you'll look at that with me. It says in verse 35, Then Jesus went about to the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want you to keep that passage of Scripture open because we're just going to pull everything that we need to know out of these verses right here. And I want you to just simply underline them if you're using an app. There's a wonderful feature where you can actually underline the passages there. If you're taking notes, you might want to write them down. But if you ever get lost, everything that you need is right in the section of verses right here. So I want to talk about five things that Jesus saw and five things that we need to see as well. The first thing is this. In verse 36, it says, he saw the multitudes. He saw the crowd. He saw people that no one else saw. He looked at people and he saw them, whereas other people might uh, ignore them Other people might pass them by. Other people might not give any consideration to them. Jesus saw the people that no one else saw. He saw the people that were spiritually lost and aimless and without direction. People that were cast off from society and even pushed away by the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They were weary and they were scattered burdened by the heavy regulations put on them by the Pharisees with no hope of even getting close to heaven. Their religious leaders, their Pharisees, their scribes, their teachers of the law were so revered, so respected, considered to be so much better than everyone else that the average person had no hope of even coming close to their level of righteousness by which they would receive heaven. Jesus saw the hopeless moral and spiritual condition of the crowds. He saw the neglect of the less fortunate. The thing you notice about Jesus is he notices people that no one else paid attention to. He not only saw them, but he acknowledged them and their plight. And his heart went out to them. He noticed the sick, the handicapped, the divorced, the weary, the discouraged, the sinful, the prostitute, the tax collector, people that you would move to the other side of the street to avoid. The problems of society that others would say, well, that's 
Let someone else take care of that, but that's not my problem. Jesus didn't simply say, look at them and see them and say, isn't that too bad? He not only recognized them, he acknowledged them, and he interacted with them. We need to see people the way that Jesus saw them. We need to acknowledge that they're there. We need to acknowledge that there's a problem and that we have a solution that we can bring to them that will change their lives for the very better. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see with eyes of compassion, not eyes of condemnation. And this is where a lot of times the church in America gets things wrong is that we see the problems of the world. We see the people going through difficult situations and being in difficult circumstances. And instead of showing compassion, oftentimes the words that come from our lips are condemnation. Don't they know any better? Isn't that a shame? Isn't that too bad? Wow, they're so sinful. Wow, they're so deceitfully wicked. Failing to recognize that there was a day that you wouldn't even set foot inside a church, that there was a day that you were far from God and apart from him, but by the grace of God, the forgiveness and love of God was extended to you, and it changed your life for the better. Jesus saw, but the second thing is he was moved. When someone is moved, it means they are emotionally stirred. When we are moved, we experience strong feelings of sadness or sympathy, or even a desire to do something. Seeing the helpless circumstances of people's lives can be very overwhelming. If you've watched the news, maybe you've been overcome by what you see going on in the war between Russia and Ukraine, and you're overwhelmed with sadness, you're overwhelmed with care and concern for those involved. It can create feelings of concern, empathy, or care. When Jesus saw the crowds of people, people who were morally and spiritually lost, he didn't look at them with disgust. He looked at them with a broken heart. He was moved by their situation and their condition. Seeing them in the state that they were in really struck him. One of the wonderful things that I noticed about the life of Jesus is that he showed emotion. And this is something that we can kind of learn from him. When Jesus was heading towards Jerusalem, it said that he wept over Jerusalem. When he was in the temple and he saw the money changers uh, defrauding his people, he, in anger, overturned the tables. He preached with passion. In the garden, he, he wept in the garden. You know, sometimes we think, well, we need to always have it together that there never should be a moment where we lose our composure, that feelings and emotions are weakness, but Jesus expressed emotion. He felt emotion. It showed that he wasn't just someone that was sent by God and so far removed from where we are that he couldn't empathize or relate with the things that were going on in people's lives. He was genuinely moved by them. He was not devoid of emotion. When he saw things that troubled him, he showed it. Jesus was representative of God the Father's heart. On many occasions, he spoke about being sent by the Father and doing the Father's will and doing the Father's work. So he saw the crowds with the love that the Father had for them. 
and longing that they would know the Father as he knew the Father. And that the relationship between Heavenly Father and all of his children would be restored. When we see the world that we live in, when we see the suffering of others, it should move us. There should never come a point in our lives where we become devoid of emotion when it comes to the lost and the suffering of this world. Listen, as you've been with the Lord for a long time, and maybe you've helped people, and maybe you've gone out of your way to do things for people, maybe you rented out a a room in your home for them to stay in, maybe you got them a job and hired them, maybe you gave them money, maybe you gave them a car, and then they just kind of completely blew you off or ghosted on you or that they were complete and utter disaster and it ended up being something that not only was didn't help them but it hurt you and there's times in those moments where you say you know what i'm just not gonna care anymore i'm just not gonna feel i'm just not gonna put myself in a situation to be taken advantage of anymore and i'm not gonna put myself out there because i don't want to look foolish but I would consider, have you consider Jesus' life and his example is that he, and, and the understanding that he already knew what they were going to do. He already knew they were going to mess up. He already knew they were going to fail. He already knew they were a complete unmitigated disaster. And yet he still said, I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to show you care, compassion, and concern. Even to the point that after the resurrection, after all 12 of the disciples messed up, and abandon him. Jesus gathers the 12 together and says, okay, now let's get to work. I don't know about you, those people are out when it comes to like the plans I have. If those people deserted me, if they denied that they knew me, if they turned their back on me, I would say, I'm going to find 12 new people to start this over with. But Jesus didn't do that. He still showed grace, still showed forgiveness, still showed compassion, Now, believe me, you learn things. You become wiser. You become smarter in the way that you choose to trust people. But never get to a place where you stop caring and you stop feeling. Things that we see should unsettle us. It should break our hearts and it should move us to care and compassion. So Jesus saw he was moved. And thirdly, he had compassion for them. Compassion is an action verb that is connected with being moved. There's a difference between empathy and compassion. Empathy is being moved by someone's pain and feeling for them, but compassion is a strong desire to do something about it. Compassion says, I need to do something. Empathy and pity says, somebody needs to do something about that. And we usually say, pastor, why don't you do something about that? Or our civic leaders, why don't you do something about that? Mayor, why don't you do something about that? State representative, why don't you do something about that? When the truth is, compassion says, I need to do something about this. And it should move us. Compassion is a biblical trait. Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the return of Christ, the return of the Son of Man, and that he would gather people together and separate them as sheep and goats, the ones who actually followed his commands and the ones who didn't. And you know how he measured it? He said, you know, I was hungry, and you fed me. 
I was in prison and you came and visited me. I was naked and you clothed me. And, and those who were truly followers of him said, when did these things happen? He says, as much as you did this for the very least of my brethren, you were doing it unto me and for me. James 2, 15 and 16, James writes, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to him, depart in peace, be warm and well fed, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? And he goes on to talk about how faith must be paired with works. Works is not our salvation. We don't get saved by what we do. They are the product of our salvation. It's not enough to be moved with sadness. It's not enough to have grief when you see things that are wrong in this world. And then to turn and do nothing. But Christ-like compassion calls us to do something about it. Jesus saw the crowds and was moved with compassion. But compassion is only one part of the equation. This is so important right here because people don't just need compassion As a believer, as a Christian, and a follower of Christ, people need to be shepherded as well. Verse 36, Jesus had compassion on them because they were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the spiritual neglect of their religious leaders of their day, the Pharisees, scribes, and teachers of the law. They were supposed to be the ones to help people get closer to God, They were appointed as shepherds and overseers of God's people. And they knew how to instruct the people and give them the rules how to live, but they lacked compassion, concern, and care for the people that they were taking care of. Ezekiel 34, this is more of a reference for you. You can write that down. Ezekiel 34 deals with failing shepherds. And the prophet Ezekiel has a word from the Lord rebuking the religious leaders of his day, the shepherds of God's people who took care of themselves but did not prepare the people to serve the Lord. And because of this, God's people fell prey to sin, depravity, and later became so weak as a nation, they fell to Israel's enemies. This same accusation is leveled against the uh, Pharisees and Sanhedrin, because they were teachers of the people, yet they themselves were spiritually blind. They were the shepherds of God's people, but only they cared about was a following and not about their souls. They did not have God's heart, a shepherd's heart for the people. Instead, the religious leaders cared about how they looked. They were selfish, lazy, and self-indulgent. They looked out for themselves, but not for the people And the people became neglected like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord was moved to shepherd them. He determined that if their spiritual leaders would not care for them, he would. So the fourth thing that we see that Jesus did is that he shepherded them. Sheep need a shepherd. Without one, they are lost. Jesus speaks of himself in John 10 that he is the good shepherd. He's the one who cares for those who are his. He even is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. His example is the one that we should follow. Now, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd feeds. A shepherd makes sure that the the flock and the sheep are nourished and well-fed. 
Christ fed the multitudes not only spiritually, but physically as well. He gave them the word. He taught them. But we also see that he fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000. So Jesus, as shepherd, feeds both spiritually and meets a physical need as well. Jesus cared for the sheep. He didn't just teach them and send them away. He allowed them to come near to him. He allowed them to speak with him. He allowed them to touch him. Even people that had leprosy and disease and people that were considered to be unclean, he allowed them to get near him. And he allowed himself to get dirty touching them. And he didn't say, you know what, you can't associate with me. I'll teach you from over here, but you can't come near me. Jesus touched the masses. He embraced the crowd. He was someone that was accessible that you could go up and to physically touch and interact with. He was someone that cared about them, who forgave their sins, healed their diseases, and cared about the things that they cared about. The shepherd cares for their sheep. The shepherd directs the sheep. Jesus showed them the way to heaven just because the sheep were lost. He didn't leave them lost and wandering. He went to where they were and showed them the way out. So that's what a shepherd does. A shepherd, if a sheep is lost, he goes out and finds the sheep and he goes, oh, that's where he is. And he doesn't just go and leave them and says, hey, that sheep is caught in a bush. Now I know where they are. He doesn't just leave them stuck or prey to predators. He pulls them out of where they are and he guides them back to where they need to be. That's what a shepherd does. If a shepherd has a flock of sheep, sheep will just kind of go wherever their nose takes them. Sheep will go wherever their interest takes them. If there's grass over there in another field, that's where they're going to want to go. But the shepherd says, it's not about what you want, it's what's good for the flock and we want to go this way so you don't get uh, into a place where you're in danger or a place where you uh, could get away from the crowd, or you could be picked off by a wild animal. So a, a shepherd guides and directs things. A lot of times, there are people in life that have no sense of direction, no sense of purpose, no sense of what's right and wrong. So we are there to not only meet the need, but we're there to help guide and direct them so that they can see the way out of their situation and the way out of their circumstance and the way towards heaven to direct them forward and to direct their attention up. The shepherd protects them. He defends, watches out for, and wards off predators. Shepherds, uh, shepherding people means that you need to protect the vulnerable. When you disciple people, you show them truth from falsehood. You equip them so they won't fall prey to wolves. The Lord is looking for people who will not only just simply give to something. Giving is good. You guys are great at giving. But the Lord is also looking for those to shepherd others. You say, well, I'm not a pastor. You know, the poimen, the Greek word for shepherd. You know, I'm not a pastor by trade. It doesn't matter. We can minister to people. We can be where they are. We can direct them towards God. We can help feed them and care for them. You don't need to be a pastor to do that. The last thing I know about Jesus is this. Take a look at this in verses 37 and 38. The fifth and final thing is that he asked them to pray for laborers. Verse 37, he says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest send out laborers into his harvest. What is the harvest that he's talking about? Jesus correlated the multitudes of people to a harvest field. A harvest field is a field that's ready for the work that the harvester is ready to do. A field shows signs that it's ready for the harvest. Grain, when it's fully ripe, turns white. And Jesus is saying the crowds, the people, are ready to hear about him. I want you to get that picture in your mind, that when Jesus sees the multitudes, he says, you know, the, the fields are white for harvest. The, the, the harvest is plentiful. In other words, he's looking at the crowd, and he's not saying to himself, well, I wonder who'll listen to this message. I wonder who'll accept this. I wonder who won't be offended by this. I wonder who, who will actually listen and receive it. He says, no, if, are you seeing what I'm seeing? I am seeing a crowd of people that are ready and willing and receptive to what the harvest is going to do. When a harvester goes out into the fields to harvest his grain or to harvest his crops, the harvest doesn't just simply fold its arms and go, no, you can't do what you're planning to do right now. It doesn't matter what the harvest might think because there's something bigger and stronger that's coming that's going to bring in the harvest. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? We're sometimes so concerned, especially as we live in the state of Massachusetts, a a state that is so repressive when it comes to preaching the gospel, when we have such an intellectual academic mindset that fights against the very basis of faith, and anyone who believes in, in, in Christ or in God or has faith in heaven is looked at to be foolish. We sometimes couch our bets and hedge our bets and say, well, They're not ready to receive that, and so we might hesitate a little bit. But Jesus says the fields are ready for it. And the things that he said, that's still true today as it was back then. Now, you might have to change the way you do it. Are you harvesting with the right tools? For example, if you're harvesting blueberries, that's a different thing than if you're harvesting wheat. Everybody get that? They're like, how do you harvest blueberries? There's this little rake, and you got to get down on your knees, and you got to pull them out carefully. You can't just be like, I'm just going to pull all these up. But if you're harvesting wheat, you've got a combine that comes by with these big blades, and you try and cut them all up, and it sorts them all out. Some of us are trying to harvest blueberries with a combiner. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? Get the mind of Christ for this. Get the vision that Jesus would have you to see today, that you may be using the wrong tools. You may be using the wrong implements, and you're saying, well, why isn't this harvest working, and why is everything broken around me? The answer to the question is you've got the wrong tools. Ask the Lord to give you the blueprint. Ask him to give you the tools. Ask him to give you the strategy. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask to the Father who gives it freely and liberally to us. The very repository of the wisdom of heaven is at our disposal, and we're still figuring it out and twiddling our thumbs going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? It's not about what you're going to do. It's about what he's going to give you to do and how he's going to direct you in those things. The fields are ready for harvest, but sometimes we feel like they aren't. We feel like that people are ready to receive everything else we have to give them but Jesus. They're ready to receive a place to live. They're ready to receive financial support. They're ready to receive food and things like that. But we're like, well, they don't, but they don't want the Jesus thing. Not realizing the Jesus thing is what makes us want to do all the other things in the first place. 
So if we connect the two and we show them, you know, when people say, well, why are you doing this? It's because you need to know the Father loves you. You need to know that God has a plan for your life. You need to know that he cares about you. God will help us to know the strategy going forward. Verse 38 has a very interesting phrase. Now, we've heard this a thousand times before. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest field. Jesus recognized the work of the kingdom is not a one-person job. And if you're trying to do it by yourself, that's not the way Jesus designed it. Even he didn't do it himself. He had 12, he had 72, the church had 2,000. You know, even as the, the apostles led the church, they chose seven deacons. There were things, there was a structure that they recognized that God wanted to do in the situation. They couldn't do it on themselves. He is the originator and the motivator, but he calls others to himself to delegate the work of the kingdom to his followers. He tells them to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest field. And I want you to notice that phrase that says, uh, to send forth. And now I'm not a Greek scholar. You can tell by my butchering of Greek words, okay? But the word for send forth is ekbalo. And that word is a very interesting word because that word means a forceful pushing out to do something. It is actually the same word that's used, a derivative of that word is the same word that's used to drive out a demon. When someone says they're driving out a spirit from someone in the scriptures, ekbalo, ekbala, is the word that comes to mind. So this is not, when Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth labor, he's not asking for, you know, we're asking God to persuade people or to be uh, gentle or trying to convince them but rather, I want you to understand what he's telling them to pray for. He's saying pray that the Lord would forcefully move believers from being spectators to participants. The prayer is to move people from a place of comfort to a place of compassion. Write it down. That God would move us and believers from a place of comfort to a place of compassion. I want to give a huge shout out to our women's ministries this morning. Because if you haven't noticed, we've had two things already this morning that are practical things that you can put your hands and feet to. Whether it be uh, doing the Easter tree, giving tree for Christina's house, or whether it be uh, the uh, food bank in town. These are two very practical and simple ways that you can get involved. I want to express my gratitude to Jean and to Fran and to Trudy and others who have put this together and Sherry coordinating this too, they are catching a vision for what compassion is all about. And it's something that we need to get on board with. Sometimes they say, well, that's great that they want to do that. This is something we can do as a church. Do you have juice boxes at home? Yes, you do. I know Kevin drinks juice boxes, so there's juice boxes at home. I'm just teasing you, brother. But you have something at home that you can bring to do something. It's not hard to show the heart of Jesus. It's not hard to see what he sees. It's not hard to do what God wants you to, to do and to care about people. I hope he forgives me. I don't know if he will. So. But you know what? When we try and just do something out of our own motivation, it will ultimately fail. Our human efforts to move people to do something are oftentimes short-lived. You can try and guilt people into doing things. You can try and make them feel bad. Some churches use scare tactics to get people to do something and tell them what will happen if they don't. But that doesn't last very long. But if the Lord of the harvest moves on a heart 
to motivate workers for the kingdom and for his ministry. When the Lord of the harvest does this and gives us care and concern for the lost, that's not something that goes away. It's something that becomes part of who we are. It's something that becomes part of our very being and our DNA as individuals and as a church. It may be time for us to pray that God would move and motivate workers for the kingdom and call them into his ministry, whether it's Living Hope, whether it's the rescue mission, whether it's Christina's house, etc. Pray the Lord of Harvest would move people. We sometimes think this means I pray and God moves other people. Pray the Lord of the Harvest to send forth laborers. Yes, Lord, send forth laborers. Someone else to do that. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying pray the Lord of the Harvest to send forth laborers to get us up and to move us out and to drive us towards what God wants to do. Understanding that, Lord, you're the one who calls. You're the one who sends. So call and send people to us. Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, is looking for shepherds who will not only pray, but act. Christians who are moved by compassion and care to show that for the world around them and to show them the way to the Lord. Now, I want you to know something very interesting as we just flip over one page to chapter 10. We're in chapter 9 right now. We're looking at chapter 10. I want you to look at this with me. So Jesus, remember Jesus, you know, sees the crowds, has compassion, moved in his heart, feels like he needs to do something, feels like he needs to shepherd people. He says, you know what, pray the Lord of the harvest would actually move people, drive people towards his, uh, towards his call, towards his kingdom. And the very next thing in chapter 10, it says that when he called his 12 disciples to them, he gave them power under, over unclean spirits and cast, to cast out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. And he names the 12 disciples and he sends them out. Don't you find that interesting? That Jesus didn't say, well, just pray about it and then God will send somebody. But rather, Jesus says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers, and then Jesus immediately takes action. And he says, okay, the kingdom work needs to begin, and it needs to continue, and it needs to be expanded. So I am calling 12 people unto myself, people that he chose. And he chose them to be part of what he was doing with them. Notice that the 12 disciples, not all of them are perfect. Not all of them are ideal. You know, Peter denies him. Judas betrays him. You know, Matthew, the tax collector, is on the team. And Simon, the zealot who wants to kill all people that are connected with the Roman Empire, is on the team. Those are a bunch of people that's, that's like wired for disaster right there, if you look at that group. But Jesus didn't see it that way. He saw the group and he said, you know what, this is a group that I want to call into being. And I want them to partner with me and they'll work together. When you bring people on board to help you in your kingdom work, it doesn't mean that they're absolutely perfect means at times they'll mess up. But notice that it didn't keep Jesus from still using them and working through them for the kingdom work. I want you to know that today, is that the Lord is calling for us to be laborers, and he's calling for people to be laborers with us. As the worship team makes their way up front, I want you to know that today, is that we need to see things the way Jesus sees them. Not from an armchair that's comfortable in our house. 
Not from a place where like, well, let Lord send somebody else, Lord, and do that. You know, it's very easy, as, as even as Shannon talked about it, she said, you know, her mom was nearing retirement. You know, the Lord could have spoken to her and said, you know, go tell the pastor that they should start a house for women. But said, the Lord called your mom. And she probably didn't know what that was all about, what was going to go into that. But she said, I hear the call, and I'll answer. And so when God speaks to your heart, what answer will you give him? How will you respond to what he says when he calls us out of our seat and into service? When he calls us out of comfort and into compassion, will we respond? And there are going to be times where it feels like he's literally driving me out to do this. But when he's driving you out to do it, he's trying to get you over your own insecurities about doing it to let you know that he can do it and he will do it and he'll partner with you. People always say to me, it's just like, well, I don't know, you know, if God's calling me to do it, it, it am I doing what he's called me to do? And, le- and I often ask him, I said, you know, listen, if the Lord called you to do it, he knows how it's going to turn out. Because he doesn't live in our time frame. He lives with eternity, past, present, and future already taking place. That's how he is able to tell us what's going to happen prophetically. So if he already knows how it's going to happen He's not calling you to failure. He's calling you to what he sees in you that can be done with his power for the kingdom. That should be a reassuring. It's not confidence in yourself. It's confidence in him that he can do it. Do what I do. Tell the Lord, this was your idea. I was perfectly happy doing my life and my own thing. This was your idea. So whenever I hit a a bump in the road, whenever I hit a a patch where I don't know what's going to happen, I say, God, you, this is you. You had this idea. You called me. I obeyed. So would you come through like you always do and always will when you're obedient and when you're faithful and when you put your hand to the plow and don't look back? I want you to know today that God sees you. We can just bow our heads for just a moment and close our eyes. I want you to know that God sees you. It may feel like no one's paying attention to you. Nobody cares about you. You've been through so much in your life. You've been through so much. And the only one that's been able to take care of you is you. You've had to do that for a long time. But I want you to know if you walk away with anything from this message today, would you know today that the Lord sees you? Sees your tears, sees your brokenness, sees where, what you've been through, and sees where you are now. I want to challenge you today that you might have gone to church and you might have sat in church and you might have heard teachings, but today, the Lord of the harvest, Jesus, is calling you to know him personally bow your knee to him to call on his name say Jesus I will follow you you don't have to try and do this yourself anymore it's not just about you trying to get by instead the Lord will be with you that when we receive Christ we receive not only forgiveness and salvation but we receive his Holy Spirit to help us so this morning today if these words mean anything to you today just raise your hand and say you know I need to know the Lord 
I need his heart. I need to be saved today. He's calling to you, and he knows you. That's where you're at. We just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. May I speak to our fellow believers today that your prayer would be that you would have the eyes of Jesus. Ask the Lord to give you eyes to see people that you haven't seen before and to people who need God's love and help. Pray today that God gives you the Father's heart, that you would be moved with love for them. Pray that God would give you compassion that results in action, not just talking about how bad things are or how things need to change, but rather compassion that results in actions and that the Lord would help you to shepherd people and direct them to Jesus. Without the message, it doesn't matter what the methods are. People need to see why you're doing it and to see the one that can truly change their lives for the better. It's not us. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray today that you give us the eyes that your son had for this world. Not eyes of condemnation, but eyes of compassion. I pray today for living hope in those that are gathered here and those who may be watching online. Lord, give us eyes to see people that we hadn't seen before and to see them the way that you see them. Father, we pray today, give us a heart of love for those who are lost. May we be moved, Lord God, not just to say, oh, it's too bad, but be moved, Lord, to love them and to want to do something about it. Lord, we pray today, move us, Lord, from complacency and comfort to compassion and movement. Lord, drive us, Lord, to be able to go into your harvest field for the work that you want us to do. Lord, you said that people are ready to receive it. And Lord, I'll admit that there's times where I doesn't even feel like that. That seems, Lord, illogical in the modern world we live today, but Lord, your word says it, so it's true. There's people that are ready to receive. Help us to have the right tools to harvest, Lord God. And Lord, help us to shepherd and lead them to the good shepherd, the one, only one that can truly show them the way out. Lord, we want to follow you and we want to bring people to you, so I pray today Give us a heart of love and compassion, but help us to always point people to you. No matter what we say and what we do, help us to always point people to you. And Lord, give us this ability to do this, because in ourselves we can't, but with your help we can. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.